0: Hello, and welcome to Contra Pulse. This is Julie Vallemont. This week, we speak with Peter Siegel. Peter is a guitarist, mandolinist, and singer who began playing tunes with the Beverwick String Band, touring with Paul Rosenberg in the 90s. He made his way to the Pioneer Valley of Massachusetts and became a part of the Greenfield Dance Band for the next 15 years, alongside David Kaner, Mary Kay Brass, and Stuart Kenny. He then formed and currently plays in the Gaslight Tinkers, a world beat performance and contra dance band. He has had several other contra bands over the years as well. As a songwriter, Peter was influenced by the songwriting of Pete Seeger, Dixieland music, old time fiddle tunes, and Afro-Caribbean rhythms. Born a red diaper grandbaby in New York, he later made his way up to Vermont, which he now calls home. Over the years, he's shared the stage and been mentored by folks like Pete Seeger, Jay Unger and Molly Mason, Judy Collins, Dar Williams, Utah Phillips, and more. When Peter is not playing or recording, he is a devoted public school music educator in New Hampshire. As an educator, Peter has been writing songs and theatrical productions with children for the last 15 years. You can also find him leading stringed and vocal workshops in Americana music at the John C. Campbell Folk School, Swannanoa, or the American Festival of Fiddle Tunes. In our conversation, we talk about how Peter got started playing for dances, his deep musical roots in the folk world, his experiences in contra dance bands with a wide variety of sounds. And we talk about what tradition even means and the need to constantly experiment and innovate. We also have a lot of fun and get pretty silly towards the end, as you'll see. We're wearing masks in this interview, so apologies if it sounds a little muffled. Hope you enjoy. Peter Siegel. Welcome to ContraPulse.
1: Hi, Julie.
0: <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. It's a, kind of an overcast fall day, but it's warm out. It's like in the 70s, maybe? A little partly cloudy. I've been giving people a weather report at the beginning of every episode since we record these on the porch.
1: <laughs> and it's peak colors in a lot of places. I was just up in like Newfane, and it was just unbelievably magical.
0: Oh, yeah, right. a little bit further north, it's really like happening. Mm-hmm. It's happening.
1: It's happening. It's like a blip, and boom, everything's brown. It's yeah, gotta, you got to savor the beauty. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that's our philosophy in dancing, right? Savor it every moment. That's right. Oh, you can. Mm-hmm. That was hokey.
1: <laughs> nope, it's right up my alley. Hokey is where I'm at all the time. I'm guilty.
0: Um. And uh, well, so welcome. There's so many things we could talk about. Where do we even begin? And I just uh, spoke with Mary Kay Brass. And so this will be fun to tie into those things. So, Mm. you know, you obviously have many different musical things in your wheelhouse, you know, being a singer songwriter and playing guitar for all different kinds of music and then playing contra dances. Um, but why don't we start with the conscious stuff and also being a music teacher, I forgot to say that out loud. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
0: but why don't we start with the conscious stuff and then we can, um, go from there. How did, how did you get started playing for conscious dances?
1: Well, I was born in a small, no, (laughs) so,
0: um, (laughs) we'll go all the way
1: back. (laughs) Oh, Peter Siegel was a little baby. He was born with mandolin on his, no, not at all. So, um. So um, I, I started playing music a long, long time ago, like mostly classical guitar and folk music. Um, and my entrance to sort of the scene was through the folk scene and growing up around Pete Seeger in the Hudson Valley. And, um, and that was my inspiration. And, you know, And Pete, and a lot of my inspirations from Pete brought in so many different genres of music. One of them was playing fiddle tunes on the banjo and things like that. Mm-hmm. And through Clearwater and Pete, um, P- I got connected to people like Jay Younger and Lynn Hardy. Um, okay, I've got to sidetrack a little bit. When I was very young, my father was was an op- his my grandfather was an optician. He had a shop on Canal Street in New York City, and um, my my father um, worked for my grandfather. And my grandfather was a little bit cheap, and he had all these old frames. Um, and Jay Unger lived in Brooklyn. Jay and Lynn lived in Brooklyn, and they used to come into the shop, and get the hipster wire rim frames back in the <laughs> back in the early to mid '70s, and got to know my father quite a bit. Gave him some albums, and my my father would would. Um, Bring all these albums, and, and I just remember dancing around the room to, to one of their first albums. And I uh, remember Rocky Road, Cindy, Rocky Road Town, and hearing Coleman's March on there, and hearing all these tunes that I play right now. And so, um, and Jay was part of the Clearwater scene, which was uh, sort of the Pete Seeger environmental scene of the Hudson Valley that my family was a part of too. Mm-hmm. So there was my father knowing Jay and Lynn from Brooklyn and Canal Street. Um, and then when Jay and Lynn started playing for square dances at Clearwater Annual Meetings and at the festivals, as a little kid, I was dancing around. And, that, and, and I always looked up at the fiddlers and thought, I really wanna do that. And, and, and I love singing songs and, and it's, it's most of what I do these days, but there's a mystique to be able, you know, to, be able to pick up an instrument and play melody on, on an instrument and for, a, for dancing. Cause there was a real joy um, that happened at, at these meetings. Um, and, and that joy, was the joy of people coming together that were doing something different and dancing it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't the joy of contra dancing for the sake of contra dancing it was mm-hmm. the joy of a community coming together around this wonderful festive activity and as a child that that's what was in my heart and so as i got older that that stayed with me um i moved to albany went to college in albany um and I was hosting an open mic at a coffee house, and I said, I really want to take this to the next level. I really want to start playing fiddle tunes. And and I, I um, boldly asked this really cute woman that I met. Um, she was wearing a Galax Fiddle Festival shirt on. I was working at a cafe at the time, too, and she walked in. And said, I said, have you ever been to Galax Fiddle Festival? She said, no, but my boyfriend has. I was like, oh, okay,
2: cool. <laughs> um,
1: but I play fiddle, she said, and, and that was Brittany Orlebeck.
2: Wow. And she
1: she um had a she was working for the state of new york and her her good friend who she had met like a year before um also was also working in the budget office in the state of new york too was a piano player who had played with jim kimball in new york Jim Kimball ran ran the Geneseo String Band, yeah, and and so they were kind of rearing to play fiddle tunes, and and I said I met this guy, he's kind of a funny guy, Paul Rosenberg, and and he he did tell me that if I could get my chops up, we could play for one of his kids' dances, and so I brought at the open mic, Kristen and and Brittany, and I practiced some fiddle tunes. I invited Paul down. He said, "Oh, you'd be great for the Girl Scout dance I have next week," you know, and so we. <laughs> We ended up playing for this girl stat dance. We still have a tape of this dance. This must have been back, what, 1992 or something like that, um, or 93, some way back. It was like my last year of college. Um, and that's that's kind of how I got into it. And Paul was a real mentor. Um, he introduced me to the music of, of our neighbors, people like Peter Peter and Mary Ellis and Andy Davis and all my my. Idols to be later, who I became friendly with and started playing music with.
0: Our Brattleboro neighbors here. Our Brattleboro yeah. neighbors
1: here. Um, and and now those are all the tools that I use to, to teach kids to dance in my classroom. All the tools that that, that um, the, the New England Dancing Masters, and Mary Kay Brass also, mm-hmm. by the way, yes, um, who's part of the New England Dancing Masters, um, that's those are the tools that they developed or the tools that I've been using in the classroom for the last 15 years mm-hmm. and being able to play music with Mary Kay and the Greenfield Dance Band will happen later. So that's how I learned. And then I decided when I was applying for graduate school, I want to be in the epicenter. And I and um, I became friendly with David Kaner and Susie Secco, piano player, mm-hmm. and um, Susan Conger wonderful fiddler uh, and tune writer at Ashokan, at my first year of Ashokan. And David, of course, as David would do, would say, well, why don't you just move to Montague? <laughs>
0: That's so David. And it worked on so many people. <laughs> it worked on
1: so many people.
0: He still... He's, still. <laughs> he's
1: still... And so I ended up um, going to graduate school in Keene, New Hampshire, and I moved to Montague in 1996. And he just said, well, why don't you just be part of the Greenfield Dance Band? And I said, okay. <laughs> 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 and so... That that was the, that was the the, the gentle descent into contra hell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Before I forget, just for the history books um, the your band with Brittany and Kristen Hislop had a name, and I'm yes. blanking on what it was. It's called
1: the Beverwick String Band. That's what it and was. And Beverwick was the original Dutch name of Albany, um, Beaver Town. And, um, and she was Kristen Brunner back then. So that's what she is on the CD. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that's that. I still love that CD um, that we made. Pete Sutherland produced that for us. And there were really some, were some magical moments. and, And I think at the time... So when we first started playing, someone came up to me at one of the first um, regular contra dances that we played. It was one of like Andy Spence's old songs dances. And, and he said, you're going to be the new wild asparagus. And I said, who's wild asparagus? You know, yeah. I had no idea about, about that stuff. And, and truth be told, the music that we were playing was very traditional. You know, Kristen is this great boomchuck piano player. And yeah. Brittany just plays tunes the way they're written in a really awesome groove. And I just strummed on the mandolin mostly and stomped my feet. And, and I think that at the time when music was starting to go off in different directions with the Clayfoot strutters and, and wild asparagus, some people were really excited to see young people playing music really traditionally. Mm -hmm. So I was, people probably would not believe that of me now because of what I do, but I was a, I was a super traditionalist. You know, when I first started, I really just wanted to just play, you know, just strum and stop my feet, you know, and. Mm-hmm. So,
0: well, I think that's a good way to start a tradition. You know, like to, to join a tradition is to learn the tradition first before you. Then you can do things with it, but you have to understand it first. Yes. So it's it's a good instinct to have is just to want to embrace it and do it.
1: I think it's true for any art, any art. You know, it's like you really you want to you want to be a a wonderful modern artist you have to be able to draw a portrait mm-hmm. you have to be able to embrace like the elemental stuff and and you and you know when i learned music you know even just in general my process of learning how to play music was very historical when i learned to play guitar i was i would i i went way back and i that was those are the days when you had to go to the library and actually get out records yeah. and play them and, and, and then I would, I would do the technological thing of transferring them to tapes. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go there and I'd look up old Alan Lomax recordings of fiddle tunes and songs, and, and that's how I learned. And I learned to, to boomchuck guitar fiddle tunes by listening to Woody Guthrie and listening to Doc Watson and listening to Charlie Poole and all these, all these old time and, and anyone you could name from the 1920s to present and as i developed as a musician i went from doing that stuff and playing dixieland jazz and stuff like that to playing more modern jazz and more more modern traditional sounds more like more modern bluegrass sounds more modern um jazz sounds more modern and and i i would study different people throughout the years as my my musicianship developed Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and i think that's a that's a really i'd love to sort of create a program of learning music just purely from a historical you know like this is what you need to learn first you have to you have to listen to witty guthrie playing this land is your land and master that boom chuck
0: mm. right it would be interesting to see like what you consider foundational you know i think that's a, little, like there's a lot of different paths and it's just so interesting to hear people's perspectives on that um mm-hmm. yeah so how did that, um, so did you start playing mandolin as a melody instrument? Was that kind of your first melody instrument in the traditional tune world?
1: Yeah, I think it was easier to play melody on, on mandolin than on guitar. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was playing melody on guitar, but not a dance tempo when I was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. I was not those crackerjack musicians who are 20 years old you see now.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so mandolin was definitely the accessible one, and then later on, I, I after I practiced the shit out of. Doop, the, am I allowed to say that on
0: this? Oh, we've said all sorts of things. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: have uh, practiced the scat out of the guitar. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I, uh, you know, I was able to play melody on guitar quite a bit more, and and I honestly, I think that that um, that development really only happened in the last ten to fifteen years for me.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's certainly technical challenges with like flat picking on the guitar, or playing melodies. It's a different kind of playing mm-hmm. than chord playing or um, backup kind of stuff. So you had Beverwick String Band. Is that where you really learned how to play for dances? That's that where I really first learned introduction.
1: It's the first introduction.
0: And what kind of gigs did you guys play?
1: We would do the Western New York circuit. You know, Rochester, Ithaca, Syracuse. Um, we'd go up to the Adirondacks, play the Saranac Lake Dance. David would have us come out and be the, sort of like the host band for the Greenfield Dance Band when Mary Kay and Stuart were not around. A couple of times uh-huh. we did that. Um, New York City, you know, just basically the Northeast. Yeah. Maybe, I guess we went as far as, did we go as far as D.C.? I don't know, but basically the Northeast circuit. And um, Brittany and Kristen were, um, they were definitely like, not they were loved playing music but they didn't really want to do dance camps they didn't really want to go beyond the sort of like occasional weekends of doing things and that was great and that's kind of why I ended up moving into other areas as well. Um,
0: So what years was this when you were traveling around New York State
2: playing?
1: That was the 90s probably yeah probably from like uh, 1993 98 or so so
0: funny because i was in college then in ithaca going to cornell Mm -hmm. like i grew up south of rochester so like this is like my home turf Mm -hmm. but i didn't know about contra dancing i had never heard of it in my entire life yeah you probably came and played a dance like ray near me (laughs) i'm sure I did. it's just so funny like we have all these things in common like between being environmentally minded educators and music and stuff it's just one more funny thing it's like
1: (laughs) i know so many connections
0: yeah there's so many paths that i almost crossed with back in the 90s when Mm -hmm. i was like around in new york state and maine and didn't know about dancing and all the people I could have met <laughs> who I met way later. Anyway, isn't it funny.
1: encouraging, though? I mean, just, you know, off the topic of everything, it's encouraging to know that in the ethos and everywhere there are people around you who you will connect with. And there are people that will share those things. You don't know them now. They're all there. Right.
0: If you ever feel lonely or like your neighborhood's boring, maybe there's just something there you don't know about. You yet. just need
1: a pandemic to bring the neighbors together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's happened for me quite a bit these
2: days. (laughs) Well,
0: that's true. I mean, you have a whole concert series from your porch. So (laughs) I do enjoy having a project that gives me an excuse to get together with people and talk to them. Mm -hmm. Because I might forget to do that otherwise. Uh, You know, like the folks at the Rochester Contra Dance, when I first played there, you know, I was like... How long has this dance been running? And I don't know, decades. Mm -hmm. Like the whole time. My grandparents lived right around the corner from that neighborhood. And like, I didn't even know it existed. So it's all these things.
1: Yeah. And you know, the thing that I learned from, I think it really was traveling mostly in New York State from that experience, was just how much of a community and how generous people were, you know, letting you stay in their houses and hosting Mm -hmm. you, giving you breakfast in the morning. And Mm -hmm. um and that was all really new to me and pretty cushy to just sort of pull into a town you've never been in before and stay in someone's nice little suburban home and just tool around town the whole afternoon and play a dance. I mean, that's yeah. the wonderful thing.
0: And they want to make you their favorite egg recipes or yes, their best pancakes or they get, like, 20 kinds of cheese at the grocery store. And I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's, it's wonderful to be welcomed into a community like that, you know? Like, it's you really make lasting... Friendships that way. Not mm-hmm. all gigs are like that. Like if you're doing a gig in a club, you don't get that kind of right. kind of treatment necessarily. Sometimes. Yeah. It's a
1: special club. Yeah. <laughs> or if you have musician
0: friends in town, you know, musicians right. often stay with other musicians and organizers and stuff.
1: Yes. There's different kinds of love that people give you. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, I got sidetracked about New York. Um so, when did you really start playing fiddle tunes with, like, Jay Unger, for example?
1: I think, well, I sort of reconnected with Jay by going to Ashokan in, that was probably 93 or 94. hmm And, um...
0: Was that Northern Week?
1: It was Northern Week, mm-hmm. and that, and that that's really I think that moment was the moment where I met you know that's where I met David and Susie and Susan David Kaner, you know and I just that that was the blossoming like mm-hmm. that was sort of like oh my god and that's where I was really truly introduced to Kibbutz music and mm-hmm. and um and I think the first week I was there the bands were Nightingale and was it. Was it Nightingale or was it Wild Asparagus? They rotated each year at that time. I think mm-hmm. one year it'd be Nightingale, one year it'd be Wild Asparagus, or oh. I don't know. It was like, and it was just, it just was jaw-dropping to me. I was just like, oh my God, I love this. And um, and it, it was, and so at Ashokan was where, you know, it's like that. there's, Molly Mason really showed me the, the rock-solid ways of sort of walking the bass on the guitar and things like that. And, And then I remember sitting down with with Keith, with Keith Murphy, you know, I really didn't know him very well at the time. And I was like, you know, I think he gave me like a 10 minute lesson. And I think, I don't know if this is a story of music for you, but it is for me in that like my whole life, I've never really taken consistent lessons except for when I was in college and I studied classical guitar, Mm -hmm. but my whole life is, is 10 minute or five minute snippets with very good musicians telling me one thing Mm -hmm. that stick with me for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's what Ashokan was for me that week too. It was like sitting down with Molly Mason, sitting down with Keith Murphy. Um, and I think some of the Quebecois musicians, Guy, uh, Guy. Guy Bouchard? Is that his last name? I think so. The guy named Guy.
0: (laughs) From, uh, was it 52 below? 27 (sighs) below? I'm bad at numbers.
1: sure. Yeah. I can't remember. But, you know, it's just, yeah. So Jay, so I, I wouldn't say, I mean, I, as far as Jay Unger goes it's like we've been I've orbited around that world um for most for my whole life and seeing I would see him at Clearwater Festival every year too mm-hmm. and I remember seeing Ruthie when she she's probably five or six years younger than me and so I was probably 15 and she'd be 10 running around mm-hmm.
0: and, now and, from the mammals yes you know she has quite a successful band in they own right wow so many people have had these kind of moments at ashokan it's mm-hmm. It's like you know Jay and Molly have really built a community where they they've been doing it long enough that you've got like a kind of generation of contra musicians who learned a lot there
1: many generations, yeah, because you know noah and and Andrew were there well after I'd even ever attended Ashokan. so yeah. so it's like. And then there were generations before me too. So it, it is multiple generations for sure. And um, uh, and that, and I think there's there's even an even younger generation after Noah and Andrew. That's Absolutely. There. So it's just and and you know the thing about Ash- there there are magical things about different camps. Um, and Ashokin has this this very special kind of magic that um, that of course is part of a cult of personality of Jay and Molly. It's like they just set that tone that's incredibly friendly and makes it almost like a, a 24-hour vaudeville show, you know. <laughs> um, uh, or I should say Borscht Belt show, because we are kind of in the Borscht Belt when you're there. And and Jay really, you know, naturally is. And that's why I relate to him so much, being another Jew from New York. Right. You know? <laughs> the whole the whole Borscht Belt thing. And that's, that is that is really what makes it so special. Um, uh, and I think that people... It's I, I went back to Ashoken last year for the first time in like ten or fifteen years, or maybe eight years or something, and I hadn't really been a part of the new campus and stuff. But as soon as I walked in, it was all the same people that had been there like eight years before. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'd like you love to see new people, but it's so reassuring to see how much they feel a part of that community that yeah. that Jay and Molly have developed, that they just keep coming back every year.
0: Absolutely. And they bring their families, and it's like what you do. It's when you reconnect with everyone.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. and side note, I went to Ashokan in the fifth grade when it was an environmental camp. That was my first big woods experience. You talk about, like, convergence, right? Like, going to the... It was, it was an environmental camp, and it is an environmental camp still, run yeah. by SUNY New Pals back then. And I was in the suburbs of New York, and that was my five-day experience, was going and staying in a cabin at Ashokan. And so when I went back for the first time in 1993, it was so magical to see this place that I hadn't seen since I was in the fifth grade.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: And that's not, you know, sort of a coincidence, but sort of not.
0: I mean, there's times when you feel like things in your life are all falling together. Like, I don't know if I believe about things being meant to be, but certainly like, like this is a place in my life that is Like you're kind of meant to be there in a way, you know, like all these things drawing you to this place and the way it impacts your life.
1: Totally. And I am a believer in, I mean, I'm not in the spiritual sense. I, 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 it's still let the mystery be, but I feel like, you know, your heart brings you to certain places Mm-hmm. And and I, there's a reason why Ashokan was there, and I and I had this very visceral experience in the fifth grade doing something completely different that has a lot to do with what where my heart wants to go, so no coincidence there. Yeah,
0: the and, and honestly, I think that's why so many of us make lifelong friends in the dance and music community because all of our hearts are bringing us together there for the same reasons. And then when you meet people who have all these hearts in common, it's Mm -hmm. just so natural to just become friends with them. Yep. It's more than just an activity. You know, you meet people who just have joy in the same things and like-minded philosophies in life. And that's a really special thing.
2: Yeah. And that's
0: why I think that won't go away. Even if we all forgot how to contra dance, you know that the dancing is the foil that brings us together right and when you have deep seated roots in a community like that you know it'll come back mhm it definitely will
1: it will it will and and maybe with a vengeance
0: <laughs> right everyone's going to have all this pent up joy mm. energy <laughs> and other emotions
1: <laughs> oh well i just you know I, this weekend I was just experiencing a little bit of that because I, I one of the scenes I'm a part of is a is a conscious dance scene and it's moving to 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 beautiful music. A lot of it is just drumming and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it was an outdoor thing where everyone's at a distance, but the vibe there is just so. It's so it's such a it, it's so there because so many people are just craving that and, and I feel that contra dancing when it comes back it's just going to be that incredible intensity that i felt this weekend dancing with these people Mm. i think contra dancers maybe could take a lesson from that and maybe take up a little bit of another kind of dancing that they don't have to do just for this interim period something that
0: you can do a little spaced out from other people yeah Yeah. do it
1: outside you could do it yeah there's there's some really wonderful things that are going on in our region
0: yeah what is that dancing called I've heard it called like, is it ecstatic, dance? Is ecstatic it, dancing? Ecstatic yeah. dancing. Yes. I went to some really incredible, the only times I've been to ecstatic dance were at Burning Man. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty incredible, very like soulful and energy filled with the most surreal backdrops that you've ever
2: seen. Yeah, I'm
1: sure. <laughs> anyway, we, we,
0: I can talk about that and totally derail this entire conversation. <laughs> I know.
1: We're, we're so easily derailable, aren't we? <laughs>
0: band then mm-hmm. you know you met David you ended up moving up here started playing with the band mm-hmm. what were those years like
1: well it was wonderful and and a lot of pressure like not pressure in like oh my god I I, I have to keep keep up with this but you know there I mean Mary Stewart went back and 15 years before I got there they were they were tight you know they had their mm-hmm. their very very tight thing that they did, and I think you know David really welcomed me into the band, and I wouldn't say that Mary Kay and Stewart did not welcome me into the band, but suddenly there was a new person in the band, yeah, and they had to accommodate me, mm-hmm. um, and so I had a learning curve, and I, I think a lot of my style developed around Mary Kay's piano playing and and Stewart's solid bass playing. You mm-hmm. could play anything around, of course, mm-hmm. and and Mary Kay's solid solid as anything too, mm-hmm. but. I, but that experience was an experience in filling space. Right. Right. You know, and it's like what's Stewart's, you know, on on the one and the three or, or whatever. And Mary Kay is doing these syncopated things on the piano and a boom chuck. What am I going to do on the mandolin or the guitar? That's not going to be redundant. And I right. think that that's, that's a lesson that I often teach people when, when I'm teaching about playing for a contra dance. It's about there's the bass here. There's the piano here. You're playing a stringed instrument. How are you going to counterbalance that? And that was that was really what I learned in that environment. I, and the wonderful thing is that um, the beauty of the Greenfield Dance Band was that people, fiddlers would always, would rotate in and out. And there was no one fiddler. It was David and the three of us at the time. And Michael Carey for some time as well. Mm-hmm. Great mandolin and guitar player who now lives in, in the Boston area. Um but, um, but mostly the core was the four of us at the time. And it was different people throughout the years, I guess for about, I would say f- 10, 15 years, we were the core. And, and then there'd be like incredible fiddlers joining us. I mean, Rodney Miller, Lisa Schneckenberger, um, Russ Berenberg, you know, would come and play guitar with us too. Be, I mean, you name a fiddler, that plays for contra dances, and they were part of the band. That's how I got to know Naomi Morse. It's how I got to know, uh, I don't know, I just basically say name of a fiddler, they probably rotated through. Mm-hmm. And so it was every other Friday, it was f- and then the fifth Friday as well, second, fourth and fifth Fridays. And it was an education in all these incredible styles, and to be a part of accommodating the fiddler, you're just the bed behind the sit-in fiddler, mm-hmm. who's with us. I should say Susan Conger too, and and then of course when when Mary Kay wasn't there, and any any time that Stuart and Mary Kay wouldn't be there, there'd be other musicians too. So maybe it'd just be me and Stuart and Susie Secco, or me and Stuart and and um, Bob McQuillan. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it, it was, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> as far as like, it's amazing. Every as far musician. as
0: musical education you could get, I mean, that's amazing. It yeah. sounds like so much fun. So much fun. I used to sit on stage and watch you guys and just listen. That was when I was a new dancer and mm-hmm. then a new musician. And Greenfield Dance Band was just so fun to watch. And the atmosphere was always so convivial mm-hmm. on stage people hanging
1: out. That's, that was David setting that tone. Yeah. And he insisted on, and may, probably Mary Kay talked about this as well, but just David's insistence on, I would say two main things. One was that always having chairs in the back for people to sit in and play along mm-hmm. with the band. And the other thing was no one sitting at the door to collect money. The money, it was just the fiddle case open with a suggested donation that made people feel like they, they could pay what they want. And sometimes that resulted in a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it resulted in a lot less money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but that, was, that's, that was David's loving insistence in inclusion. You yeah. Know? yeah.
0: And is there no one at the door so that no one knows how much you pay so that you can have some, like, privacy around that? or? or
1: yeah, just, I, I think...
0: Uh, or just because it feels more organic and welcoming that way I instead think, of, like, a greeter, gatekeeper person?
1: You know... I guess David could tell you that, yeah. <laughs> and we—it was a source of debate between me and Mary Kay and and um, and Stewart and David. So like yeah. we would say, well, it'd be nice to have someone at the door because people like to look at someone when they're walking in. Yeah. And David, David, he he didn't argue about it too much, but he he there was there was something base that he he really felt he really needed. He, we, people really needed to just not have the pressure of of having to pay. That people could pay nothing if they want, but they didn't have to tell someone that they're paying nothing. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. And then there were the beginner nights. I don't know if Mary Kay talked about the beginner no, nights. We so didn't. every every about every six months, um, David would have a beginner's night, and it would be completely free for anyone to walk in between seven and, and eight o'clock. The fiddle case would be closed until eight o'clock, and we would mm. do a huge beginner's workshop with the dance. And sometimes we would have, you know, 50 to 75 people just show up that have never contra danced before. Amazing. And, um, and then open up the fiddle case and the money would pour in. And sometimes we would make a ton of money because we didn't outright ask for money. But people were so gracious about having to learn, being able to learn contra dancing that they would just throw money in anyway, even though it was technically free to all the beginners. Um, you know, and that's, that's, and I, I should really, I should really just say that 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 comes from the heart that David put into the Guiding Star Grange in the first place. He was back in the late '70s, early '80s. He was fostering that that feeling for the Guiding Star Grange. There were ten people showing up to his dance, and that was the only dance. You know, there was the Northfield dance and his dance, and mm-hmm. no one was showing up. And he just was so welcoming that he that eventually hundreds and hundreds of people would be showing up to the dance and then wild asparagus ended up with the first saturdays and now there's not a night that a dance doesn't happen at the guiding star grange but that was david's work and so having these beginners nights and not asking for money i think was an extension of the work that he put in to make the guiding star grange what it is today
0: mm-hmm. really building something from the ground up yep yeah A lot of David's ideas, um, when we started the Bida dance in Boston, um, we we drew on a lot of those ideas, like sit-in friendly dances and having a sliding scale, Mm -hmm. and I didn't, I don't like student rates at dances, or I just think, like, it's really not about whether someone's a student or not, it's about whether they have money or not, and Mm so... Anyway, I, I don't want to go, yeah. I could geek out about dance organizing philosophy, but that's not what this podcast <laughs> is about.
2: Yeah. And just,
0: uh, he just does so many things to make it, to make you feel welcome. Mm-hmm. And I had the great pleasure a, a couple of years when I was at Ashokan of, um, on staff playing piano for his like morning New England jam. Uh-huh. And those were just some of my favorite moments. He's just so welcoming to everyone, regardless of ability. He makes everyone feel good and sound good, mm-hmm. regardless of what their musical ability is.
1: It's it, it's so true, and and the great joy, the most recent great joy that I had was um, last year at Ashoken, which was his last year. Um, I, I had the chance to host that New England jam yeah. with David all week. And and uh, I think that was a gift from Jay. You know, Jay hadn't had me in like eight years. Uh-huh. And I think that when I saw him at the flurry and he said to me, do you want to come to Ashokan this year? I think because he had the feelings this would likely be David's last year. And it was. And, um, and so being able to be there with David and a group of 20 people playing these New England chestnuts, well, I mean, I, I will savor that moment for as long as possible. I mean, there's just nothing like it. Yeah. Nothing. I mean, he has such a passion for the dorkiest most wonderful tunes and and it's he just I just access the inner dork and the inner <laughs> the and and the inner almost classical musician because the musicianship of the, those some of the New England tunes that are in E flat or F, you know, some of the things that he has mastered, B flat tunes that are yeah. really hard to play. Yeah. Are ju- I mean, and he just plays them from the heart and, and he makes them accessible for everyone.
0: Right. And he's very self-effacing. He'd be like, oh, let me see if I still have this one in my fingers. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was up until last summer, you know, like just. Uh.
0: So what were some of those tunes that you remember? in that jam session?
1: Oh, I don't know, let's see. Um, things like Ross's "Real," um, Bat um, uh Dominion, um, uh, let's see, Little Burnt Potato. Yeah. Um, Rain. Yeah. Um, just, uh, boy, I can go on and on. I mean, just, you know, the. And, and I actually, you know, last week on my show I had George Wilson, and he's he's also a fiddle hero. He was my fiddle hero of Albany, mm-hmm. um, and and that and that's one of the reasons I had him on is because I really just wanted to play those tunes with George Wilson. Yeah, yeah, he's such a wonderful dorky tune player. <laughs> Why don't
0: you tell us the name of your show quick so that we can put it in the episode notes? Oh,
1: it's live from Brattleboro.
0: Live from Brattleboro. We'll link to it.
1: There's a YouTube channel, and there's also YouTube and Facebook for as long as Facebook will have us.
0: Yeah, (laughs) for good COVID musical entertainment. There was a tune... Oh, man, I'm embarrassed that I can't remember the name. And it was, like, there all these charming tunes with, like, chickens in them. It was, like, chicken and something feeding... Hens
1: feeding and... Hens feeding cabbage? And and carrots. Hens Hens feeding feeding carrots. (laughs) Yes.
0: I did not know that tune. Mm
1: -hmm. And they're
0: like, what? You don't know hens feeding carrots? But in the most loving way. Well, let's play it. It's a glorious tune. Right. You can play that tune. And it's, like, those tunes... You know, I had been playing for a few years at that point and had played a bunch of concert dances around the country, but that doesn't mean you know all this repertoire. And it's like when you go to other sit-in bands and no one's playing it, it's hard to learn it. Right. And so getting to play with David and learning a lot of these tunes, mm-hmm. it's just...
1: It's incredible. Yeah. And, the, and the other extension of that was that it was probably back in 2000 and... It was 2002 because it was right after 9-11. David asked if I would join the staff at the John C. Campbell Folk School Dance Musicians Week mm-hmm. in North Carolina. And um, every year since then, I've, I've been doing I've been doing Dance Musicians Week with him. And the people who've rotated in and out of that were, um, well, Susie Secco and Susan Conger and then Naomi Morse came in um, for a bit. And then and the staff now is Betsy Branch and Sue Songer. Mm mm-hmm. um, but the joy of that week is that people who take that class are David Kaner lovers, and they just eat up those tunes. So it was a whole week of just playing playing for the, the greatest dancing every night of the week, and, and just playing these old New England tunes that I don't often get to play these days.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, so wonderful. <coughs> Excuse me. And yeah. the Greenfield Dance Band had a repertoire of pretty, like, Local traditional tunes, things yes. from Quebec, Ireland, New England, you know. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yep. And it, it really just depended on the fiddler mostly. And <laughs> if it was just me and David and Mary Kane Stewart, which it was at times, um, it would be a, you know temperance and and uh, you know some of the just Fisher's hornpipe and. Uh, and, and you know, a lot of Shetland and Cape Breton tunes, things like Datushkar and Milbray and mm-hmm. Miss Susan Cooper and, and tunes from Canada and stuff like that. So,
0: mm-hmm. And a lot of those tunes are found in the Portland collections. They are. Um, yeah. And David has spent a lot of time out on the West Coast, so I'm sure he has a pretty strong Contra influence
1: out there. Yeah, David has his pockets. It's the, the Northwest western new york um he spread things quite a bit Mm -hmm.
0: um spent time in maine
1: Oh, a lot of yes he's got his roots in maine yeah yeah i
0: love these tunes i hope people keep playing these tunes
1: we'll keep them playing them wanted to move on to, to the other the next step was the Gaslight Tinkers yes and it was my goal the Gaslight Tinkers we were not a contra dance band but the the tunes this ties in with what we're talking about I always insisted that the tunes that we would play even if we play them non-traditionally the tunes we would play would be the basic old tunes you know, we wouldn't be d- to be writing tunes and, and dredging up obscure tunes that no one knows for the sake of it. We would be playing tunes like Fisher's Hornpipe and we'd be playing Dorky Jigs, but we'd be doing Afrobeat and um, and uh, Caribbean sounds and, and jazz sounds behind those very classic tunes because to me the tunes are what holds that tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started with a fiddler named Zoe Darrow who was a mostly Cape Breton-style fiddler and Scottish fiddler. And, um, and, and, she knew these really great old Scottish tunes and, but, and there was not a lot of improvisation, improvisation in the fiddling. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, she just stuck to it and just kicked ass on these, on these really tread mm-hmm. tunes. And, um, like I'm not a preservationist. I don't believe that things need to be set in stone, um, stylistically, Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of old-time musicians and bluegrass musicians and Irish musicians feel, but I do feel like um, you can you can um, you do need to hold on to some element that really ties it to the tradition and and really honor that tradition. Um, and in this case, it's the it's the tune itself. Everything you do behind the tune could be anything, but the tune is holding that tradition. And um, and so. I started the Gaslight Tinkers with um, a bass player named Garrett Sawyer, mm-hmm. um, who I met through Anna Patton when she was doing a recording project. A lot I of contra
0: re- albums have been recorded at Northfire.
1: At Northfire, right? He's a, he's a he's he's a brilliant, um, brilliant studio technician and mixer and producer, and um, and he had a history of playing with all sorts of reggae. Afrobeat um, Caribbean bands he spent a lot of time in Trinidad developing his chops and he started a band called the Alchemistics which was basically a reggae funk jazz uh, improvisational rap everything band Mm -hmm. and they and they were in the club scene and they're a fantastic band and known in the Connecticut Valley here all over hundreds of people would come out to hear them play and Garrett was getting sick of that scene <laughs> <laughs> not not sick of the music but sick of like you know there was there's drugs and there was mm-hmm. there was contention and egos and all that stuff mm-hmm. the and and he was recording all these traditional albums people like anna Patton, mary lee you know you recorded there julie yep. right i mean a lot of people have recorded northwire and he was taking in all this music and he was connected to it anyway because he grew up with his parents going English country dancing. So he knew the music. It wasn't like it was foreign to him. Mm-hmm. And for those of you that that have never seen a picture of Garrett, Garrett is this very tall, lanky guy with dreadlocks um, who lives like kind of off the land in Wendell. And um, and if you saw him, you might, you might expect he'd get pulled over for something. <laughs> but he's actually like a total vegan never smoked pot, never drank in his entire life and teaches physics at, at the PVPA right now at the, at the pioneer Valley performing arts school. So Garrett really wanting to sort of like shift his musical world into like my musical world at the same time, we kind of met and said, let's do something. Let's do something that brings together the generations and, and, and gives people joy and makes people want to dance. And, um, At the time, I was playing a lot of, I was doing a lot of singer-songwriter gigs. Um, I had an agent that worked with Peggy Seeger and PsyCon, and I was doing a lot of colleges and touring, and I was playing for people who were twice my age, and I was getting a little sick of it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And he was playing for people who were his age or younger, and I said, Okay, I want your crowd. You want my crowd. Let's bring our crowds together. (laughs) And so we got together with Zoe Darrow, this wonderful fiddler, and we started the Gaslight Tinkers. And um, it was an instant success. Like, we were packing the iron horse and playing festivals and things like that. And then I said, well, Garrett was like, I really want to play contradances. And I was like, ah, oh, I play so many dances. I don't know if I want to do dances in this band. He's like, but I really, I, I just, it's so much fun. And it's so, you just go and you play and people give you money and they treat you well and they're not drinking and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> So we played a couple of contradances and we we turned on a lot of people and we turned off a lot of people at the same time because um, we are loud or then I shouldn't say loud. We're not loud. We are the quietest band at any real festival that we play. Right. But in in the land of the folk musician and the contradancer, we are loud. Right. Um, because there's drums and bass and I play electric guitar, um, mostly Afrobeat style electric electric guitar, but not. Know, not super loud just what you'd hear at a, at a festival um so we turned off a lot of the the diehard dancers and folkies but turned on a lot of diehard dancers and folkies too and and a lot of younger people really dug what we were doing and so um i think we both split the contra dance crowd and also brought the contra dance crowd together in some ways mm-hmm. too and then we also but in the real world outside of the contra dancing we were bringing a lot of people together like you go to one of our concerts and there would be 15 16 17 year olds dancing and there would be 80, 80 year olds people dancing as well and singing along to our songs so that was my goal and that's really what i what i always wanted to do was taking old songs and old tunes and tinkering with them mm. to make to bring in all sorts of traditions in a completely genuine way
0: mm-hmm. But using these tunes as a building block, I think a lot of new bands or bands that want to be cool, they look for obscure tunes or cutting edge tunes as a way of being cooler than everybody else.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I think that's a really interesting approach is to take these classic tunes, but they, they come out com- completely differently when you have these different grooves and sounds under them.
1: Mm-hmm. They do. I mean, and, and you know, we were talking about dorky, dorky tunes before. Um especially dorky jigs, thing about a dorky jig and, and I'm sure you you think about this, Julie because you think this way too, is that a dorky jig in so many ways is as close as you could get to playing a 12 bar blues in in many cases like you could play you, you could play these dorky jigs and basically put a don don behind it mm-hmm. and it, it it's you come full circle and it becomes the coolest tune in the world once you put a different rhythm behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and you give it a whole different aesthetic. And so you end up looking at these exact same tunes from a completely different angle by putting something, by underlaying something different um, rhythmically behind it.
0: So in terms of like being a dance musician, like I I don't know how much the Tinkers have played for dances. I've certainly seen you guys playing at like you know Falcon Ridge or wherever and I know you've played some I know that's not the main thing you do in that band but what's your experience like being a dance musician you know back in the days of Greenfield dance band or something more traditional versus in uh, Gaslight Tinkers like how do you play to the dancers and what's your philosophy
1: huh. a lot of it is the same You know what? We look at the dancers and we we think about what the dancers want. Um, We're sitting on stage. The caller says to us, "This dance is bouncy." Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And and with the Gaslight Tinkers, we think, "Okay, well, this set of tunes that we've done before would go really well with 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 this dance." And if it was with the Greenfield Dance Band, we'd say the same thing. The difference is that (laughs) the tunes that we we choose these so maybe a set of certain kind of tunes in the Greenfield Dance Band that suit the, the dance aesthetic. The Greek, and, the, and the Gaslight Tinkers, we might say, well, this one would sound really good with reggae. Or this, sound, this one would sound really good with, um, with some soca some calypso behind it. Or this one would be really good if we just play straight old time sound right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and we do that in the Greenfield Dance Band too. Is this good for old times? Is this good for jigs? I think with the Gaslight Tinkers, though, it's like, ooh, we're rubbing our hands together. Let's try. Uh, there's that obscure Puerto Rican rhythm that we just studied. Let's do that. I wonder if we should. We could do that, you know. And it's it, it's a lot of just like scheming as to how could we get the dancers to begin to shake their hips while they're dancing. And I think that that's that's. <laughs> The thing about contra dancing is, contra dancing is, is basically your feet moving. Yeah. You're basically walking around, and that's cool. And I think that that contra, contra, I so often joke like, when we're playing for something, I'm like, oh my god, these people are looking down at their hips and going, what's happening to my hips? <laughs> they're they're moving.
2: <laughs> yes.
0: Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Good heavens.
0: I have things inside me I didn't know I had. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So, yeah, that's that's really it. It's just... It, it,
0: it must be fun to watch that happen on the dance floor.
1: Yeah. It's really fun. And, you know, the goal, I think, as a musician that's been around as long as I have... <laughs> is that I don't want to be I don't I don't really want to be gimmicky. I know it's like a lot of people will listen to what we do and they be like, "Oh, they're trying to do this or they're trying to do that." But like I really I really do we really do choose tunes and 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 aesthetics based on what the dances are and, and we genuinely play um, like when we are playing Soca Calypso, like we went to Trinidad and really played with Soca Calypso bands in Trinidad. Like we're not just like pulling out some weird genres that 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 we're like, oh, we heard that. Let's overlay this. Mm-hmm. Garrett has brought in these traditions, truly brought in the traditions. Uh, our new member, Aisha, um, who is mostly sings but plays um, hand percussion. She's her roots are from the Dominican Republic and, new, and growing up in Washington Heights. And she plays a lot of Latin music. And she sings. She can sing while we while we play for dances. And and it's like, that is real. That's not, you know, like she really is bringing a tradition into it. And my tradition is more of the contra dance tradition. But I did a lot of like work, like listening to a lot of Afrobeat guitar, to try to get what I do on the guitar to sound genuinely Afrobeat when I'm doing it. Yeah. So.
0: So there's some kind of respect there. And some a little bit of depth of what you're trying to do. It's not just like, oh, let's have this influence that I heard on this album. It's it's a, like you're studying it in enough depth that you can hopefully do it well.
1: And and you know, and that harkens back to my original influence, which is Pete Seeger, because that's what he would do. What would I basically? I always ask myself, what would Pete do? Um, and he, some people know Pete as a traditional banjo player, the guy who worked with Alan Lomax. They think of him as a civil rights activist. They think of him as the guy that sings Where Have All the Flowers Gone? Or the guy who sings If I Got a Hammer or whatever. But what Pete really was, was he was a guy who respected a million different traditions and was always learning. And he was, oh, that's why he would be singing a song, be like, we're going to sing a song in Swahili now. You know, and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, everyone, you know, like I just learned this from some folks in, in South Africa, you know, and and he would 100% be respecting that tradition. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... And he would be reworking traditional songs into something that is culturally relevant for the whole world and not just the white middle class people that are sitting there and listening to him at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really what I've always wanted to do with every kind of music I play. And I feel like the Gaslight Tinkers are a culmination of that. It's like the Gaslight Tinkers to me are what would Pete do?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It's interesting how like a lot of your philosophy in life as a musician has come from that. That place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to ask you a question that Julie, the human, would never ask you, but <laughs> I'm going to ask you as an interviewer, as a devil's advocate question, which is like, does that kind of stuff belong in contra dancing, mm. or why?
1: I love questions like that. Um, does it belong in contra dancing? I guess there. I would ask. I would ask back. Does it not belong in contra dancing? Um, so. The thing about, the thing about um, tradition is that, is that tradition to, I think, I really feel like tradition, quote tradition, is any given person's perception of what happened back then. (laughs) Yeah. Right? I mean, like, basically, like, old-time musicians sit around playing a, a certain way and they go, oh, they go, well, you know, you can't play it like that because you just don't you don't play guitar like that on this tune and and the only reason they believe that is because of a bunch of field recordings that were dug up by by folks back in the 20s and 30s you know and and there are so many ways that people approached music back then that were so much more fluid than people who are in the present looking at what they consider to be traditional and contra dance music over the years has involved horns in the fifth I I found um someone gave me a, a cassette tape of a square-slash-contradance from Lake Pleasant, which is in Montague, right, by Montague, from the um, early 60s. And it was a piano, a trumpet, and a fiddle, and some other instrument I couldn't identify. And it was like, you know, it was not what you would consider to be traditional at all, but it was the freaking 60s. Like, it mm-hmm. was like, that was pre-contradance revival. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I can wax about this forever. Actually, I just I feel like um, people are people get stuck in what in in what is familiar to them and what they believe the tradition is. And um, and I might be digressing here, but I want to tell a quick story. Go for it. <laughs> so years ago, I, I won a, a singer songwriter contest through a local radio station, and they, the one of the prizes was to be on E Town in Colorado. And so they flew me out to Colorado to be on E Town, the syndicated show that is wonderful and the guests on the show were uh john cohen of the new less city ramblers and judy collins and me (laughs) it's like it's such a weird comment he's like i wasn't that famous back then but i was like i'm with john cohen and judy collins and we're hanging out in the back and i started talking to john cohen um about about being in in new york city during the folk revival and um and uh Oh, actually, and now I have to backtrack, actually. A few months before that, I was doing a house concert at, at Hetty West's house. She's the person who wrote 500 Miles. Mm-hmm. And she was from North Georgia, and she had a certain way of playing the banjo from North Georgia. And after the house concert, she, I sat up with her and talked to her all about what it was like to be around Bob Dylan and be around all the like, New Lost City Ramblers in the 60s, and she said well, it's a little weird, you know, Bob Dylan was a weirdo. And she said, oh, the New Last City Ramblers, John Cohen. He told me I didn't know how to play the banjar. She called it banjar. She said, <laughs> "And I said, well, she said, I have this three finger style. And he came up to me in 1961 and said, Hedy, you don't know how to play the banjo. That's not traditional from Georgia. And she said, my grandma taught me to play the banjo. And so when I was on E-Town, I, t- <laughs> I, said, I said to John, I was like, you ever hear of someone named Hedy West? And he went, oh, Hedy <laughs> West, she's such a grump. You know, and, but but, um, but any, my point being that like John John Cohen and, and Mike Seeger and the New Last City Ramblers were the original um, sort of old time music revivalists that set the way that we play old time music in stone and for a lot of our friends who mm-hmm. play old time music. And they told this tr- this woman who grew up with the banjo in Georgia that she didn't know how to play banjo, according to her, you know? At least that's what her perception was. She felt like like she wasn't being accepted in the New York City scene as a genuine banjo player.
0: I mean, that happens with so many folk revivals is that you redefine what the thing is that you are reinventing. You're reinventing it and defining what it used to be. Right. Um, Wow, what a story.
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's, yeah it's funny and it's uh, also the other thing about that story is meeting these people Hetty West who wrote 500 Miles and I think I don't think she's ever written another song and five people showed up to her house for the house concert and (laughs) but I got to sit up all night and talk to her about about her her funny existence back in the 60s wow
0: what an interesting world to be in where your song takes on this whole new life out of you know, your world and you're told you don't know how to play the banjo and you're just watching <laughs> everything. Be like, what?
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, she's <what? laughs> she's kind of a legend. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yet she's being told that she's not a tradition. She's not a tradition. In the tradition rather.
0: Like she so. got tradition splained. <laughs> like <laughs> maybe, uh, we won't go into mansplaining now, but maybe tradition splaining is also a thing.
1: It's definitely a thing.
0: Uh, whether it's men or not doing it, we won't go into right now, but, uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Often is though. Yeah, no, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've been, I've been tradition um, explained by a lot of women too. I have to say. Yeah. So. Yeah,
0: goes around. <laughs> well, you know, you had. I've never thought about what my personal definition of tradition would be, like especially within the context of contra dance. I've tried to respect whatever I think it is. I mean, it's kind of an interesting question. Like, as someone who's tried to be a respectful piano player and learn the conscience tradition mm-hmm. but doesn't really have a definition for what that means to me except to seek out the people who are doing it in a way that resonates with me and then to try to learn from them and also bring in my own let it filter through my own styles mm-hmm. and desires.
1: Well, well speaking from someone that, that, that knows you're playing well I think you are true to the tradition and expand in quite amazing and groovy ways. <laughs> oh.
0: Well, I guess that is being true to the tradition.
1: <laughs> it is. It is. is
0: to expand on it in your own groovy ways. Cause right. like everyone who plays in this tradition adds something to it mm-hmm. and enriches it. As long as you, as long as you respect the core, maybe tradition is also a bunch of things we all have in common already. Like, I did, guys, I didn't think about this very hard, so I might have a better explanation for this later. I'm totally talking off the cuff here, but like I think of the cultural tradition as like a bunch of tunes we all have in common mm-hmm. and a bunch of moves that we all know how to do. Right. Right. But that can change and grow and expand, you know. Yes. We've talked about how these there are a lot of dance moves that were not traditional back then and you know, various dances where are the actives active? are there inactives or not? Mm-hmm. you know and, and uh, dances have changed choreography has changed music has changed mm-hmm. so why not bring in influences from around the globe? does it like does it have to be from New England to be traditional
1: mm-hmm. right right and I think at the core at the core the the not the not accepting outside influences and accepting that things change is, is really just people not being able to accept change in general. <laughs> like I really do like, I do mm-hmm. think that people find comfort in, in hearing something or experiencing something the way they first heard it. Mm. And so, you know, like that, I, and I can respect that too. Like I, I, that's why I still like to play very traditional music because it, you know, when I hear a Bob McQuillan boomchuck piano player playing behind a really great like you know, Randy Miller playing just straight old fiddle tunes. Yep. That gets to a place in my heart, and and that smell as you know, as Dudley Lofton would say, the smell of the, of the hall as you walk in, and you know, and and the and the, the shuffle of the feet with the boomchuck piano. You know, it's like that. Yeah. That's amazing, and I still love that. And people have got to also. I do feel like the dogmatic person in me feels like people have got to experience that too. Like, you can hold these two things.
0: Right. We don't want to lose one.
1: We like, don't. I right. would be
0: so sad if that, like, the, the like, David Kaner's style of fiddle playing with just very rhythmic bowing and effortless harmonies and a delightful collection of tunes. Right. Like, there's no callers who can fiddle and call at the same time. Not that no. many. I don't want to say no, because I'm sure there's some out there, but not on the national... And, and it's like even, you know, I'm not qualified to really evaluate the calling scene, but, but callers like David, you know, he, he's got hundreds and hundreds of dances in his head. <laughs> he tells, he doesn't need cards to call. He can call and fiddle at the same time. Yeah. Most people can't even talk and fiddle at the same time, right. much as call a dance and fiddle at the same time. And he tells stories from the microphone. Yeah. you know, wonderful folksy stories, but that's, that's not what all dancers want.
1: It's not.
0: Some people want a quick, efficient walkthrough with as few words as possible. And then they want like really um, proficient music.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You can play fiddle more proficiently when you're not also calling at the same time, Yep.
2: you know, yeah. and things like
0: that. You can focus right. more on your tone and, and improvising with the band. If the, if the band isn't, like doing complicated arra. If the band's doing complicated arrangements or crazy improvisations, you can't be calling at the same time while you're doing all that.
1: Right, right, right. I think that, that um, there's something they say about old-time music, and I also say it about the Grateful Dead, which is that um, it's better than it sounds. You know, <laughs> and, um, and, and and there's something to that because I think that people uh, people have gotten used to a certain level of proficiency. And I think that level of proficiency also comes um, at the deficit of, of soul. And, and and I love the rough edges yeah. of, of a band when they're just sawing away. And I love the rough edges of, like, the Grateful Dead when they're just, like, forgetting words and, and stuff like that. You know, I love old-time music that just kind of goes on and on and on and is totally rusty and scratchy. There's soul in that music, and I think that people... Really need to appreciate that. If I could be dogmatic about one thing, I would say, just look past the cleanliness and look past the the Chris Thiele, diddle 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 diddle. I could play perfectly. And and is there heart in it? And there is real heart in in um in just good old New England fiddling and check piano playing. It's just it's really there and um that's that is what we need to keep in the music and i and i I do think though that like even the gaslight tinkers like we i we get there sometimes we we do i love just like staying on a, on one groove and being really scratchy and just trying to be as rough as possible just for the sake of being as rough as possible <laughs> you know but um yeah there's i know i'm a very stream of consciousness here but i think that um one of the one of the things that's happened over the last 15 years for better and for worse is that we've had this wonderful influx of young musicians a lot of whom are um berkeley and and new england um uh new england conservatory graduates and people like that who can play the shit out of their instruments Mm -hmm. and they're fantastic but their abilities are often, are often precede their, their heart. And I'm not knocking them because they, and, and I'm, I'm gonna say that by, uh, I'm gonna say that I think that, that they develop the heart. It's not that, that mm-hmm. the heart doesn't develop later, but I think that ability in more recent times has often come first before the heart. And, um, and I, um, I know a ton of musicians that in the last 10 or 15 years have really grown into being heartfelt players. But I think because of all these people being produced from these great colleges and being able to play their instruments so well, it has raised the bar on what the dancers and what listeners really expect to hear. And so when they hear someone who can't quite play their instrument as proficiently as some 21-year-old who's just out of NEC, to them, it's like that person doesn't play as well, and and it's often an analysis based on ability, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that some some people who just don't know the music analyze and I hear that a lot. I hear like, oh, that band is, you know, it, not as good as that band. I'm like, well, what do you mean? They play with such heart. They're such a great band, and and the band that they're talking about, that's great, is a great band. Mm-hmm. But they're great because they can play a thousand chords and a million notes. Like, Mm -hmm. that's why they're great. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make them better. It just makes them very able.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, genre aside, to me, one of the things that defines a good contra dance band is, are you paying attention to the dancers and Mm -hmm. giving them what they need to do the dance? Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And you could have the most virtuosic people doing all these things, but somehow they're not locking in with the dancers. Like They don't know what that magic is, yep. that rhythmic foundation that the dancers need or the way you, you bow the fiddle or the mm-hmm. kind of tunes you're playing. I don't know. I'm not trying to say that I think I'm not even thinking of anyone in mind particularly who I'm like, oh, they don't do it right. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not, not either. Yeah, I, I'm not I, trying I... to say that, but it's just as an abstract concept. Hmm. Um. I mean, the, we do have a lot of friends in the contra scene who have gone to Berkeley or NEC, and they're great. But they, they come into dancing with, you know, respect, and they also contra dance, and they want to be dance musicians. Hmm. But.
1: Right. Yeah. And. Um, and I think that that um, I think really what I'm saying is not not that that those people that are wonderful musicians have a deficit per se. I'm saying yeah. that that the people who don't come out of NEC or Berkeley or are a really well trained musician from the age of two are just as good, but in a very different way, and mm-hmm. have this heart that that often as a dancer doesn't get noticed because dancers are really tuned into groove and they're tuned into, to what they're feeling in the moment when they're dancing and they're, and they're not really, and they often are too. Like I, and I think of like someone who has all of those things, like someone like Rodney Miller, for instance, Mm -hmm. Rodney Miller has incredible chops. And then he's also got incredible soul, you know, and, and Noah, of course, you know, like people, people who just, the greatest musicians can, you just feel it and you're like, holy crap, look at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, and then there's someone like Jay Unger, who is a very, he's a great freaking fiddler, but he's very simple.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's a very simple fiddler, simpler mm-hmm. and elemental fiddler. Um, and that's what makes him incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, he just knows how to slide into those notes and stay behind the beat just perfectly where you're just like in that pocket. hmm so, blah, blah, blah. We could talk about this for hours.
0: Well, we could. I mean, that's the fun thing is that there's not a, like a right answer, you know? It's no. just different things to explore and consider. Do you ever dance? Were you a big dancer for a oh, while?
1: Big dancer. My first experience in Brattleboro was driving up from Albany for the Dawn Dance. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I loved dancing. And, and, the, and the joy of dancing was goes back to the first story of me... At a clear water event, you know, square dancing and contra dancing with my parents to Jan and Lynn. So that was really, it's really important to me. I love, love dancing. Um, I think that in more recent years, I'm drawn more to free form dancing and, um, and just being able to fully move my body. Um, mm-hmm. and I still enjoy contra dancing. When I'm at a dance weekend, I always will dance and go out there on the floor. Um, but I often don't seek it out in the, in non-COVID times mm-hmm. when, um, when I have free time because I'm in the dance hall playing for dances every other week or whatever once a month. Right. I'm going to do something else, right. you know, some other kind of dancing.
0: Yeah, that happens to a lot of dance musicians where they stop dancing as much just because they're already in that environment so much. Yep. Unless you're, it's great to be at a weekend where there's another band and then you don't have to be providing the music for the dancing and you can enjoy it. Yeah. 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 (音楽) Thank you. and a country dance musician and you have this like dance experience what are the kind of things that you would teach them in order for your band to have the right feel
1: that's a really good question um oh boy (laughs) (laughs) um i think i think about Joe, Joe Fitzpatrick, who's in the Gaslight Tinkers. Um, and he is an unbelievable drummer. And he plays with the with the O-Tones, which is um, Ann Percival's swing band. And he and he also plays, he's played for a couple of other bands now that he's gotten his chops up with us. He was a rock and roll drummer, basically. And getting him to understand what it means to play drums for a contradance was was sort of getting him to tune into the some real subtle... Rhythmic, um, I don't, I guess, I guess it was, I'll start that answer all over again. <laughs> we can, actually, what no, can I just, can I pause for a second? Yes. I keep getting texted and I'm not sure if like this is Yes, make
0: sure it's not something important. Pause um, for edit.
1: Pause for edit.
0: Pause for edit.
1: Um... Um uh... okay so um here we go <laughs> so um i think of joe our drummer and and he is also very attuned to what is going on in front of him anyway i mean drummers often have a natural sense of what's going on in front of them because they're sitting in the back of a whole band my experience with drummers is often that they're like the uncle of the band. You know, they're telling you when you put your instrument down on the floor and shouldn't step on it and stuff like that. But that said, he was a rock and roll drummer, and um, and the first thing was really tuning him into the idea that the fiddle tune is really driving the the whole dance. The fiddle tune is the and that and that you really have to sort of lay the foundation behind the fiddle tune and you're not, I mean, you can reach an apex where the drums are over the fiddle, but really everything sort of swirls around whatever that fiddle tune is, is doing, be it on the fiddle or on the mandolin or whatever. And, um, and the other thing is to, is to keep the tempo super straight um, to, to really pay attention to the dancers the entire time Mm -hmm. and have, and, and, and really work on creating a dynamic and an arc from the beginning of the dance to the end of the dance that tells a story in five minutes. Um, and I think that's really it. I mean, I think it's really just, it's really just using your eyes and ears. And, um, you know, in, in, our, in our band, like when I'm working with... Um, our band, we all fill different spaces. You know, I, I, Garrett's the bottom. We've got the drums, and then we got me on guitar, and then there's the fiddle. And the the wonderful thing about this band is how it's the, how we're really able to just sort of look at the dancers and just and hear the music and and really be able to hear kind of what I was talking about with the Greenfield Dance Band earlier, where this space needs to be filled for the dancers. Um, because they really need this kind of bottom right now. So Garrett's gonna be, he just naturally knows to play bass in a certain place now. Mm-hmm. And, and I know when he's, when he's hanging on the bass to do something different on the guitar. So we're really focusing on each other. Um, when I teach, I teach um, every year, Dance Musicians Week for a week. It's, it's basically all, all Contra Dance Band Workshop all the time for a whole week, eight mm-hmm. hours a day wow. with 30 people
0: wow 30 um, people
1: yeah so it's me and Susanger and Amazing. and betsy branch and and david and now andy davis mm-hmm. um but you know what? i'm teaching on guitar and mandolin and and banjo what i'm teaching is is um is just that filling the space but also being all the space if there's no other instrument so if you're playing guitar you're basically and you're playing guitar alone with the fiddle you're basically being the piano and the bass so you're doing mm-hmm. a really big boom chuck boom chuck boom chuck so that the the dancers really feel that if you have a bass player then you have the, the freedom to experiment in other in other realms the bass is really holding things down and so we practice that and if you have a bass player and a drummer then you really have a lot of
2: mm-hmm.
1: latitude to do a lot because the drums could be just going dicka-digka-digga-digga-digga-digga-digga-digga-digga and really and keeping that that sort of freight train kind of sound that, that you're gonna get from guitar and bass. And and if the drums are going digga 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 the bass could go boom ba ba-da boom ba ba-da boom. And the guitar can go da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da and, and the drums are really laying the foundation. And then on the other hand, if if I am just go, you know, on the guitar doing a straight boom chuck, the drums could be going boom, boom, chuck, boom, ka da ka boom, boom, And I could be going boom chuck, boom chuck, boom chuck, boom chuck. So it really comes down to being open to listening to what's going on around you and understanding what the dancers need. And so that's what I often teach when I teach new musicians.
0: Mm-hmm. And what is your list of the things that you think dancers need? Like, you're kind of saying it without saying it.
1: They need... Yeah, they need consistency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they need to be able to really to hear the pulse, mm-hmm. no matter what, um, and um, and they they need to feel something. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think so. Okay. So that said, some of those things are provided by the dancers themselves. Um, if you have if you're you know if you have a, an experienced dance in Greenfield or you have just a basic Saturday Night Dance in Greenfield with a whole bunch of really fantastic dancers who know what they're doing, you could do almost nothing and the dance will just carry on. And so as a band member, to be able to tune into less is more is really important because the dancers are doing their own thing and they're going to love the fact that they're carrying it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And some of those, the most wonderful moments are... The moments where you hand the baton to the dancers yeah. and, and you let them sing along or you let them, you know, do funny, funky things with their feet, you know, and they're, or they're balancing on the beat so hard that they're just all feeling it together. So you, you have to really allow for those moments.
0: Yeah. Fans have to remember that dancers love to sing along to things, you know, like like Great Bear would have these licks and riffs that everyone would sing along to, but there's also like tunes like "Amaja Edmund Edmond that everyone would sing.
2: Exactly.
0: And of course, that's a Mexican folk melody mm-hmm. brought into a Quebecois modern tune that we have now brought to New England. <laughs> uh,
1: talk about tradition, and right? And now
0: it's, we've done it for long enough and it's in the Portland collection, so now it's a traditional tune in our concert repertoire.
1: That's right.
0: So there you go. But it's catchy and it's fun. Yep.
1: Yeah. 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 It's yeah. and and <laughs> it's funny with Dedicah Joe. I mean that, those moments with Joe. Oh Ajo, yeah, I was singing like the that. wrong
0: tune. Thank you. No,
1: that was right. Oh, did you, did you I say said Amazon
0: Parazo, but I meant Dedicata <laughs> oh. Joe.
1: Oh, it's funny, I heard it that way anyway. But but Dedica Joe, um, yeah, but but how much? Um, uh, Edmund Parazo is another
0: one. And it's those moments, da, it's, da,
1: especially with the Kevin Qua where I just think I'm in like a, I'm in like the Muppet movie. Like that's I basically like my whole aesthetic is Jim Henson and the Muppets anyway. So <laughs> if I can be singing along with the tunes, where I'm like la 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 like that's. You sounded like golden.
0: Animal when you did that.
1: Well, I can sound like Kermit, too. La, 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 la. Piggy, <laughs> I can do any of the Muppets. That's my other, that's my natural skill that no one knows about.
0: Come on, let's give us a little Piggy.
1: <laughs> piggy? Ay-ya.
0: Piggy? This is a niche Kermit. a niche market you have of doing Muppet impressions of classic <laughs> New England contra <laughs> S-
1: Balance your partner. <laughs> Swing your neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> Hit your partner.
2: <laughs> Kirby. Kirby. <laughs> Hands four. Let's over
1: More drums. More drums.
2: <laughs> I'm speechless. <laughs> uh.
0: Okay, I'm just gonna laugh for five more minutes, everybody. Just (laughs) go get a cup of coffee and come back in five
2: minutes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, it's so good to not take it so seriously, right? Like,
1: that's all. That's that's it. That's we just we could end right here. Yeah. Basically, don't take anything too seriously. (laughs) Period.
0: How about gonzo do you
1: do gonzo <laughs> <laughs> i you know it's one voice because he's done by what by someone else it's not oh, jim right. henson and i could do any jim henson or what's his name you know the um frank oz right what but gonzo gonzo's sort of like this right he's sort of yeah, like yeah. but he doesn't have the so we've got like kermit and ernie and bert i can do really well because they're all they're all not bert but ernie ernie would be uh, jim henson you know yeah. oh buddy bert you want to go to a contra dance bert <laughs> i hear there's a gender-free contra dance we can go to Ernie!
0: (laughs) 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 And now I'm like getting Sesame Street and the Muppets all mixed up because it's all the same.
1: It is. It's Jim Henson. It's the magic of Jim Henson.
0: So how about the two guys from the balcony? Because I know some contra curmudgeons who sound like that.
1: (laughs) Oh, yes. Right. I I don't know if I could do them that well. That was too fast! That was too fast! (laughs) The drums are too loud! <laughs> oh it's funny you know it's uh, now that i'm <laughs>
0: i'm like ruining our interview because i can't stop
2: laughing <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: well so so you know it's funny it's i'm glad you brought that up because that is the most wonderful and, and annoying thing about contradances. you know it, like we could play, I'll be playing a club in, you know, like, the last really big gig the Gaslight Dickers did, one of the the last ones we did was in a club in Montreal, and it was, like, wall-to-wall freaking people, you know, 200 people just bouncing, you know, just incredible freaking, I mean, I've never, it was just incredible, you know, and it was Montreal, and Montreal's wonderful, and, and, um, and, do you think anyone came up to us and told us like you can't hear this or you can't hear that or you you're too loud or you're too soft? No, not a freaking. <laughs> not one person said a thing. You go to a contra dance and and you know five people coming up at this stage, you know, you really need to turn up the fiddle. Oh, that that bass is too loud. You know, and 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 that's I, I appreciate that and and I think the thing the thing that's um, that I've come to learn about about that the thing that used to annoy me a lot when I was younger is that. You know, Contra Dancers are, yes, it's a community, and yes, they're an audience in a sense, but really they're clients. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they're people who are coming for an experience, and they they have this expectation of their experience, and they want their experience to be wonderful. And we try to make it as wonderful as possible, but part of that process is adjusting things so that they're... You know, basically, it's like giving them a massage. You know, like, is your pillow okay? Is your head? You know, is the bass too loud? Is your experience okay? And so you really, you know, and I I used to jokingly say that contra dancers are sort of like kindergartners because they 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 don't they'll they'll almost they'll they'll often tell you when they don't like something, but they don't often tell you when they love you. You know. <laughs> they have other ways of telling you they love you. And then they're very generous people. And, and there are people that do. But honestly, like 90% of the comments are what you could be doing differently. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, and And it's all done in love because they want the whole experience to be great for them too. And great for us. Great for everyone. You know. <laughs>
0: But it's it's good to not lose sight of the fact that the people who are calling and playing music for you are part of the community. Right. They want the same things you do. They're not getting paid a lot. The, mm-hmm. You know, they're not there to fluff your pillow, so to speak. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right.
0: You know, like they're and the organizers sitting at the front door, they're volunteers. They have day right. jobs and a million other things to do. Mhm. And uh, you know, we all try our best to have a good time together. And if you're not having a good time, that's important. And we should think about it as a community. And there's, especially if you don't feel safe, it's important to tell the organizers and have a a community of safety. But it's also not about pleasing everyone's individual. It's literally impossible.
1: It is literally impossible. As a
0: new country musician, I tried so hard to just, I wanted to do it not right, but well. I wanted to, like play to each community as they would want and sound mm-hmm. traditional enough and do all these things. And in the same dance, you'd have somebody who come up to the stage and be like, that dance was a perfect tempo. Thank you so much.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then someone else goes, up, that was way too slow. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like you literally can't, it's impossible.
2: Right. Right. So we just
0: try to have fun. And right. I try to do a variety of tempos in the night and some sets that are more traditional and some sets that are less traditional that's my approach. Um, other bands are like, well, this is an experience. We're going to do it full on. So the people who really want this can come mm-hmm. and have a good time all night. And the people who, they, th- so they won't be saying, well, it was all really great, except that one set that was too slow. Mm-hmm. But then if they don't want to do that, they'll just go to something else.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, and I think that um, the, the bottom line is the musicians are having the best time. <laughs> <I think> like- <laughs> <laughs> I had to I tell you, Peter,
0: that. there have been so many times on stage when I've been really grateful to be a musician and not a caller.
1: Yeah, oh my gosh. Because yes.
0: there's times when the caller calls the dance and like in the middle of the dance, the dancer will somehow get out of line and come up and tell them everything that's wrong with the choice oh, they oh just made. I know. Or, I know. Or in that quick second of turnaround time between the end of one dance and start of the next when you're trying to talk to the band and have them pick tunes that will work for your next dance you're trying to line up the dancers and you got somebody running up to the stage being like what are you doing or two people
1: at the same time i've seen that before it's just people coming
0: and then the caller is like okay i hear you i hear and then they turn around to the mic as cheerful as if nothing had happened right and that's that I have respect for that. I was always like, I'm glad I don't want to talk to people during oh, yeah. the dance.
1: Oh God. Mills is so good at that. He's so good at just Yeah. Just just being there, listening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh and it's a kind of professionalism that we expect from our callers and musicians now. Yeah. If you're calling in a hall of like your friends, you can be like, Well, I don't care what you guys think, you know, I can jokingly be like, right. Well, we'll do one for you later, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but in a big room full of people, you don't know everyone, and you know, gotta. Right. Anyway, it's funny.
1: Yeah, we if, have
0: to. We have to try new things, so we have to let each other mess up.
1: We do. We like, definitely do. Well, we don't. You don't grow unless you mess up.
0: Absolutely. You gotta.
1: You gotta make mistakes, and you gotta experiment, and and um, it's the most important thing. It really is. What did what David used to say? He'd say. If I said, if you're having half as much fun as us, we're having twice as much fun as you. (laughs) 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 I'm getting going today. (laughs) Uh, um, If I was to say one last thing right now. Yes. I would say that um, it has been an, a gift to be able to play for dancing throughout my life. And it has provided me with, with um, incredible like, ability to develop my skill and repertoire and, and get to know people and be part of a community and, um, and um, be supported in so many different ways, um, if nothing else, even financially. And, and through the pandemic, the most generous community of people that have that have provided for me have been the contradance, uh, the contradancers, and the people who, who book events who have actually really gone out of their way to give us opportunities. And that and I'm people in California, people in North Carolina. I mean, I'm just I just am floored by the generosity of the community.
0: So. Ah, uh, yeah. I right I'm right there with you. It's been wonderful. Well thank you, Peter. This has been fun and thought provoking.
1: <laughs> and everything in between. And very funny too.
0: <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Julie. Thanks for listening to Contra Pulse. This project is supported by CDSS, the Country Dance and Song Society is produced by ben williams thanks to great meta music for the use of tunes from the album old new england by bob mcquillan jane orzakowski and deanna styles visit contrapulse.cdss.org for
2: more info happy dancing